Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest today is Josh Moses, the former Office of Management and Budget Chief of the Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO, and now a Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. Josh, this is uh, an exit interview of sorts. Uh, You recently left OMB, so uh, first of all, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. So we have talked over the years when you were at at OMB. For the last two or three years, you were basically the -the boots-on-the-ground person running the federal cybersecurity effort in many ways from the OMB standpoint. So there's a ton to catch up on, and there was even some news earlier this month around high-value assets and the new trusted internet connection tick policies coming out. So we got plenty to talk to. But let me start at the beginning. Uh, you decided to leave OMB to join PwC. Why now? Why did you decide that it was the right time? I'll answer that in two facets. One is the personal, the other is professional. And the personal side is uh, my family is expanding uh, by twofold in the spring, and so. So the timing was right for my wife and I to make the move to the commercial sector. On the professional side, you know, part of it was about how did we actually plant the seeds to multiply sort of my work in in the federal government, you know, three and a half years at OMB, hiring out a team, building that team's capabilities. The core for me was really them being a multiplier. And I felt, you know, after the work that we had done in the last year, really 18 months from Executive Order 13800, and then on through IT Mod and really revisiting every single policy that OMB had put out on cybersecurity, revising it or rescinding it, that we had really achieved a meaningful, to me, a bookend for my career uh, in federal service. And so the timing was right as well. In terms of opportunity and going on to the commercial sector, it was really, you know, that sort of impact and lending that to the client side of the house. As I say to folks, the government is the biggest, most expensive thing ever built. And what we've seen in terms of complexity Certainly from the uh, day-to-day operations for cybersecurity, the budget, the incident response, you know, and even the maturity within what we measured and how we measured it, uh, I'd say lends itself very well to uh, the commercial sector as well. First of all, congratulations on on the uh, expansion of the family. Uh, Obviously, you're talking about twins, so that's exciting. So uh, that's always a good reason to leave the White House. It's such a tough job. And, and, and what I've always heard about OMB specifically, it's probably the toughest job you'll ever love. And uh, three years is, is a long time. It, it, it takes a little bit out of you. So congratulations there. And we're going to get into all the accomplishments. And I think uh, federal CIO Suzanne Kent recently took what I called a, a bit of a victory lap because of so much got done over the last year. But let, let's talk a little bit about you for a second about the, your time in government. Talk a little bit about why PwC in terms of you know the commercial sector versus staying in the public sector sector. Talk about how kind of the roles you've had kind of have led you toward this new path. A lot of it for me was what is the opportunity that's going to present itself that allows me to continue to have impact, really get down to, let's say, the individual level, the client level. Uh, In government, I think, you know, from where my career started to where it ended, that impact, I think, was resonating at a more senior level. Uh, And I really wanted to get back to impact on the individual doing their job on the day-to-day as opposed to just, you know, that senior executive level, which is, of course, meaningful. When I looked at the opportunities that were available to me, frankly, you know, whether it was CISO opportunities that presented themselves, it was a balance between uh, what was the maturity of the organization, where could you provide your thought leadership and uh, really find an avenue to, to plow some new ground, And then really uh, commercial-facing versus federal-facing because I looked at the work that I'd be leaving at the White House and said, what role was possibly more impactful in 
cybersecurity for the federal government than the one that I had at OMB. And frankly, I, I didn't see it. Uh, that work was tremendous. And, you know, as somebody who still very much believes in the mission uh, and giving back and serving the taxpayer, I uh, wanted to continue to live by that. And so it's a wholesale cleaving of the work that I've done with the federal government and starting anew. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of opportunity for you to take what you learned in government, which is, as you said, the world's biggest you know, organization, mo- most expensive one, and apply it to smaller organizations, even if they're a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 50 company. Is that what the other kind of attraction was? Yeah, and uh, frankly, what's been refreshing for me in the role at OMB was, uh, to your point on the boots on, uh, on the ground, we would have members of industry, whether it was large, let's call them Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, or even folks in the tech sector come to us and ask us, how we went about performing some of the things that we had performed. Really, since November 2014, when the NIST cybersecurity framework was published, OMB was at the forefront of pushing that across government and implementing that, really the moment it came out. Now you're seeing industry move in a direction where the CSF is sort of the de facto framework for looking at cybersecurity uh, capabilities and really some risk management practices across the board because it's easily understood. And I think that the expertise translates very well to the commercial sector, to your point. It helps to have four years of, uh, of traction in front of me in that regard, but certainly I think there's a lot to be gained. I know you're only a couple of weeks into the new job, so maybe this is a tougher question to answer, but where do you foresee your biggest learning curve happening? You know cyber, but you have to know the industry, or, or what other areas do you think you're going to that the steepest hill to climb? I, I got to ask that question because the work is in professional services, of course, you know, technology management consulting, and frankly, it's about learning that language. But I, I look at the work that I had done in government, first in, you know, the audit community as a performance analyst and manager with inspectors general and then with OMB. And frankly, I felt like every day it was consultant work with those senior executives to help drive the mission and really, you know, one team, one vision type goal. So I think that that translates well. It's really learning the culture, learning the environment. Of course, there's a different thing called the bottom line here, which I think is a little bit of a different measure than what we're looking at in government. But frankly, the return on investment piece was something that I think we were deeply focused on at OMB, something that uh, we're mindful of every day and providing value back to the taxpayer. So I think that translates very well. Let's just talk about your career in government a little bit. We talked, uh, you spent the last three years or so at OMB, but you also worked in some other agencies. Walk me through how you got to OMB, and then we can maybe talk a little bit about what you may miss most about the public sector. It's a long road, obviously. If I go back to the first job that I took, and I kind of looked back on my federal career and said it was chasing crises or being in the right place at the right time. Uh, my first job in government about 10 years ago was with the Treasury at the Special IG for uh, the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And it was a great opportunity for, you know, a young GS out of grad school to get exposure to senior executives at, you know, Fortune 50 companies very quickly to talk about impact to them, to talk about real return economy and efficiency to the taxpayer and look at a portfolio from a top-down perspective, which, you know, is usually not afforded to the most junior folks on the on the poll there. Treasury really exposed me to the world of just federal oversight and how we're looking at driving efficiency and uh, transparency across the board. And I think that it translated very well to the work all the way through OMB. You know, I was fortunate uh, at the time to meet uh, a young gentleman by the name of Trevor Rudolph, 
who subsequently became the first chief of the uh, the cyber branch over at OMB. And really, it was our shared desire to really get results, drive impact across the portfolios that uh, I think made us of like mind. And that translated to a job at the Department of Defense going and, again, chasing the next crisis. It was uh, working on Iraq reconstruction and looking at where our dollars were spent and whether or not we could actually track the project and say this is what we got at the end of the day. So even in that that war zone environment, it was how can I tell the taxpayer that this was worth it? Um, and again, I think you'll see how that held true all the way to the last day at OMB. When we're looking at uh, $15 billion of cyber budgeting, you know, what did we get for our money? Where's the next investment? Is this the sort of thing that we want to continue to do, or do we want to uh, change course? And I think, you know, just providing meaningful uh, recommendations, and uh, I, I say this all the time to friends in the oversight community, whether they're inspectors general or with GAO, it is provide the agency with meaningful recommendations so they can better perform their job versus the gotcha mentality. And I think that that translated very well at DOD. From there, it was just trips, interesting trip, one at Amtrak, which is a quasi-government-owned corporation. I don't know how many folks know that, but again, working with a lot of uh, retired feds, former feds, to build maturity in Amtrak's programs, actually touching FISMA for the first time there, uh, and looking at what their systems were and whether or not they were reportable, given that they were a federal entity, and just learning about how to mature a program from end to end, again, something that's heavily scrutinized uh, every day. Uh, seems like the, the National Railroad System was uh, a lightning rod at the time, just based on who was in office. But it was just an interesting experience. Really, again, I think translates well to the commercial sector and saying, how do we get the most out of those finite dollars that we have to spend? And then the, the next two stops, obviously, Department of Justice was you know further into cybersecurity, privacy, civil civil rights, civil liberties. Uh, where are we looking at our investments? What is, you know, our role in terms of providing transparency on programs to the taxpayer? How are we safeguarding your information? And if you think about how that translated to the role at OMB, really the the overlap was the OPM uh, breaches in 2014. And, you know, again, how are we providing transparency? How are we safeguarding your personally identifiable information? How are we prosecuting those state actors or non-state actors who are seeking to compromise your data. And that was really brought to the fore at the Department of Justice and then immediately upon entering uh, OMB. Well, at OMB, you know, I came in in the response to the OPM incidents and really the cyber sprint of 2015, where we were really trying to up the ante for agencies in terms of their controls for identity access management. And, you know, three and a half years later, I'd say we definitely moved the needle for multi-factor authentication. I think the government is actually way ahead in terms of its use of strong tokens, strong authentication versus some parts of the commercial sector. But really it was, again, how am I going back to the individuals, the Joshes and Jasons of the world and saying, hey, I'm protecting your information. The government is oper operating in good faith uh, on your behalf. And that was really what translated to me throughout the rest of the experience at OMB. Very nice, very nice. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, start jumping into some of those things you did at OMB. You gave us a little bit of a preview. My guest is Josh Moses, the former OMB Chief of Cyber and National Security Unit in the Office of the Federal CIO, and now the Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
My guest today is Josh Moses, the former OMB Chief of the Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO, and now the Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. Josh, in many ways, this is an exit interview since you uh, left uh, OMB in, in the last month or so. One of the things that, you know, when we talk about your time at OMB, you mentioned the risk determination report. You mentioned the cyber sprint. You mentioned uh, the post-OPM kind of fallout and recovery. Those are all really big things you worked on. What I want to know is what was your thing you did at OMB that when you look back on, what are you most proud of? Principally, it's it's that response to the executive order 13800 and really you know, whether it's the run-up to that executive order or the follow-through and the reports that we put forward, I, I proudly say that uh, we had developed and, and put together that report in uh, less than five months, you know, by the October deadline, and then obviously we published it in the early spring. But really just the, the effort of coordination across the federal government there, our responses to both that ask for the risk determination report, the things that we captured in it, how that report was subsequently used by members of Congress, by the media, really to help hammer home what our core message was, which is we're doing better in cybersecurity. We've made progress in two-plus years since the cyber sprint, but there are huge gaps. Here's what they are, you know, in terms of the exfiltration capability and all that, and then directly how that translated to the president's management agenda uh, this past winter and spring. I mean, that, that's clear impact, lasting impact from the federal government. And then, of course, the IT modernization report that's also part of 13800. For me, uh, it wasn't just about Josh's accomplishments. It was about the team's accomplishments. When I look at how we had hired a group of very capable individuals uh, to come in, lend their expertise to projects, and deliver on all of those items within the IT mod report, uh, which I believe we're just about to hit the timely closure of on the one-year anniversary, that was a market success to me, but we built coalitions across the federal government, be it with Homeland Security, TSA, NIST, um, of course, our, our colleagues in EOP. And when I look back on it and I say the lasting impact is that, you know, everybody came back to OMB, both the management side, you know, my team within the office of the federal CIO, but also the budget side as those highly competent individuals who could help drive uh, federal cybersecurity in progress in the space versus what I think it had historically been where we had issued policies and guidance and said, you know, go do. I think it was much more of a partnership that was uh, very much welcome from across the CIO and CISO community and then even from industry. It's interesting you highlight the response and the work around the, the EO 13800. Talk maybe a little bit about some of those things, the risk determination report. You've mentioned that a couple of times. I know that's something, having talked to you over the years and, and talked to Grant Schneider, the, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer, that that is that was a huge step forward. That was the first time, I think, that the government as a whole, you know, not individual agencies, but as a whole, could say, here are the areas where we see the biggest risks, or here are the areas that we see the biggest gaps. Why do you think that was such an important document, not just in, in the realm of responding to the president's executive order, but for the government to really move forward with cybersecurity? I come back to my experience in the inspector general community of what are actionable recommendations, right? Like when you see a gap, do you know how to fix that gap? And that report to me was actually that type of response. And if you, if you look at uh, how it actually mirrors a lot of the, the GAO reports or some of the public-facing reports, it does actually do that. Here's how we – our scope. It was the most comprehensive – is the most comprehensive review of federal cybersecurity to date. You know, I think we had something like 8,000 data fields that we used to assemble the report, 97 agencies. 
really went end-to-end in terms of the touch point and talked to every one of those CIOs and CISOs about what we were finding. And then we translated that to here's what we need to do. Here are the actions that we need to take in the near term to close out these gaps. It directly translated to the president's management agenda, and you can see that in the modernized IT space uh, in terms of what those cross-agency priority goals are. So we were able to provide a true guiding light to close out the real gaps that we saw in government immediately on the heels of the report, which was huge. I mean, if you look at what OMB has been trying to do for years, it's let's articulate a strategy for the federal government. How does that strategy play a role with what we're doing nationally? And I think the risk determination report, and you'll hear this from Grant as well, really tied in very nicely to what is in the national cyber strategy. You don't see a lot of daylight between the federal activities in that strategy because essentially the risk determination report provided us with a North Star for the federal government. And that not only reinforced uh, the work that we were doing, but said these are absolutely the right things to do. This is the, the cutting edge for where government is or where industry is. Uh, that to me is really the market difference. And of course, I think it teed up for the vendor community and, and really industry as a whole. You know, this is where government wants to go. Don't just sell us a product that you think fits into some legacy architecture approach. Help us do better in this space and help us be innovative in this space to, you know, detect threats, to mitigate those threats, to safeguard our environment, to streamline and orchestrate our appliances, you know. That, to me, was really what we're saying in that report, and that's why it was so groundbreaking. One of the things that stands out to me, having covered both that report but also the cyber sprint and, and of course, the post, if you will, VA data breach when back in uh, 2006, that was really the first major breach the government uh, suffered publicly where uh, the, the data of 26 million veterans was lost. It seems like the, the response to OPM, the response to cyber sprint had the bigger impact over the last, if you will, 10 years, getting the government from point A to point B much more quickly. If you look at the risk determination report, and maybe I'm, I'm playing a little semantics here, but it's a great report, but we, don't, we aren't quite seeing what is coming from it yet. And here we are, we're only, I know, six months or, or eight months after it, so it's not a ton of time, but is there real initiatives, are there real progress that you can point to from that report that said, yeah, we laid out these problems, we laid out some solutions, and now the solutions are being implemented? Because I thought with the sprint, at least, you saw real progress very quickly. So you're right. We did see progress. Then you can also look at uh, what was the progress in the space that we were focused on, right? So PIB implementation was significant at mitigating a specific set of incidents. In fact, we covered that in the FISMA reports from 2014 through 2016. As you'll probably recall, you know, incidents related to PIB implementation or prevented by PIB implementation. But we really want to take a wholesale look at where the government was experiencing incidents over time. And what we did was put forward the information on the cyber threat framework that came out of the Director of National Intelligence, but has really been pushed through NSA and DODO CIO through the uh, DODCAR program, and of course, through DHS, through the GovCAR program. Uh, and really, it's looking at threats across the landscape. Where, did, where were incidents occurring yesterday and the day before across the entire federal uh, environment? And that, to me, was a much more wholesale approach than just looking at PIV. And that's you know, part of the piece. The other discussion there in terms of impact, uh, what we actually did, and part of this was the timing, was we used the cyber threat framework back in, for the 2019 budget through A11, and the capabilities that are listed in Circular A11 in 2019 and 20 aligned to 
the cyber threat framework areas where we were seeing gaps in agency performance. So when you see an increase in the budget from 2017, 18, 19 over time, and then of course, hopefully in 2020, in terms of areas of investment, it is much more of a prioritized spend on areas where we weren't doing so well, but also have high impact in terms of mitigating the risk to the federal enterprise. So you're right, PIV was a very good near-term thing that we could focus on post-OPM given the attack vector. What we said was that was very good. It was very good near-term. It closed gaps that we had had for over a decade. But really, we needed to push on the, the road ahead and how do we build a more resilient structure and what the risk determination report uh, does is set forth that structure for the coming years. In many ways, what you're saying is that the risk determination report helped influence and prioritize the spending, which really then will make the bigger difference, where the PIV was, what's the problem today? And, and we need to make you know changes today because that was a vulnerability that, one, was easily fixed, but two, the money had been there, it had been a priority. I mean, I, I guess it's not quite an apples-to-apples comparison, right? That, that's correct. And I, what I enjoyed about the sprint, and I, I remember this intimately well, leading the performance metric side of it was the ability to go back to leadership at any given agency or through uh, our President's Management Council and say, here's where your agency is performing in this specific area, and here's what the gap is, and here's what you need to do to mitigate it for PIV. And we've actually translated that experience from the sprint to the risk determination work and uh, current President's Management agenda. If you look at the way we capture quarterly progress now on performance.gov, it does exactly what we did with the sprint, which is here are the critical things that you need to focus on over this quarter or the next quarter, and here is really the impact of doing those things. I think three years ago, three and a half years ago, we were able to talk about the impact that PIV had at mitigating certain risks or perceived risks. Now we're able to talk about individual capabilities across the board and say that exact same thing due to the cyber threat framework. I want to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger. Is cybersecurity better today than when you started at OMB? That's the question we're going to ask you when we come back. But first, we're going to take a quick break. My guest is Josh Moses, the former OMB Chief of Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO, and now the Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Josh Moses, the former OMB Chief of the Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO and now Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. Josh, this is an exit interview of sorts. You recently left OMB and we're catching up over your tenure at OMB, three years plus, about and, and all the changes that have happened in the world of federal cybersecurity. One of the things that when we went through some of your accomplishments, we talked about the risk report and the, and the cyber sprint, and we talked about some of the IT modernization efforts that you were part of. The one question that comes back to me is, is federal cybersecurity today better than when it was three years ago when you started at OMB? Yes. And uh, rather than just leave it there, I'll, I'll give you a couple of core examples of this. Simply, you know, from the implementation of some of those critical capabilities, you know, and I'm not just looking at continuous diagnostics and mitigation as a panacea here, but really the implementation of that program is certainly further along with highly, uh, you know, competent leadership driving progress there. So that's one example, but obviously PIV implementation, you know, where we are, where we stand, that is no longer a principal area of focus for us within the metric space, which it was something we had highlighted for 12 years. Uh, and we're finally able to start talking about how you mature your identity access management programs 
so much so that we had, that we had put out a policy in draft in May and is planning to finalize that hopefully in the coming months. But really talking about how to mature, you know, identity and access management across the federal enterprise in line with the data strategy. That's a much better conversation than just talking about using multi-factor authentication for network access. If I look at the conversation from an oversight perspective, the dialogue between OMB and DHS and these agencies is markedly better than it was three, three and a half years ago. Just the ability, and I think about this in the last, my last few weeks of work, uh, for agencies to approach us and say, here's a concern we have about a program being implemented or a challenge that we have. The fact that CIOs would pick up the phone and call me and say, and I recall this very well within the last month, a CIO at a CFO Act agency picked up the phone and said, hey, you're always asking how you could help. Here's how. Can you please you know, show up at this meeting at this time and help with this engagement? That dialogue, frankly, didn't exist in the same way, uh, you know, three, uh, three and a half years ago. And a lot of that, I think, is due to the leadership and stewardship out of OMB and DHS, of course, through Grant, through Suzette, through Jeanette Manfra, through uh, Chris Krebs, you know, and really where they're looked at as, um, you know, adding value to the day-to-day conversation. Of course, that's a continuation from the work that Tony and others had put forward uh, years ago. And I'm seeing that really bear fruit in the near term. You know, the conversation with the IG community and GAO, a much better dialogue than what we had three years ago. We're able to focus on much more, I'd say, global problems, things that aren't just unique to government in ways that we hadn't before. We're solving challenges with industry. If I'm looking at what we're talking about, you know, the TIC, uh, Trusted Internet Connection discussion and the pilots that came out of IT modernization, really at the forefront of where industry is and government leveraging those types of solutions to drive down risk across the enterprise as opposed to, you know, multiple access points and difficulty, you know, managing the the VPN uh, situations and so on. Like, we are much more mature in that space than we were three years ago. And, of course, you know, from a policy landscape, I think we've streamlined the discussion uh, markedly by rescinding policies that were outdated as opposed to just adding on to them. There's much more maturity there. In terms of risk, you know, you can look at incidents as a number every year and say, hey, look, incidents are increasing year by year. And my sort of counter argument there is what are the impact of those incidents? It's not that, you know, we're experiencing, like you said, another VA incident or an OPM incident every year. It's more of there's much more maturity in the ability to detect. There's much more maturity in the time to remediate, notify OMB, notify DHS, notify Congress, share information among our colleagues that didn't exist three, three and a half years ago. You know, government's really moving in a direction of a much better community of practice, both within uh, the day-to-day CIO space, but really within the oversight space as well with the inspectors general, which is my um, last comment here about why we're better. Uh, I know you'd covered an article back in the summer with Tammy Whitcomb and really her talking about maturing the processes and working with OMB and DHS. If I look back three and a half years ago, that conversation didn't exist with the IG community. Um, it was really opening the door and saying, this is one team. How do we drive cybersecurity, drive investments, elevate concerns, uh, doing that, you know, whether it's behind closed doors or out in the open, but doing that hand-in-hand with the IG community and GAO. Uh, I'm deeply proud of that relationship that we've been able to build with the oversight community over time. And, of course, you know, your coverage of it doesn't doesn't hurt either, Jason. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I, I... 
I can't take any too much credit for uh, the, the progress. There's a lot to dig into there, but before I do that, I, I wanted to go into some of the policy changes. You mentioned the tick policy that is uh, that came out earlier this week with uh, federal CIO Suzette Kent mentioned it was in the Federal Register, and that was a long-awaited policy. It uh, hasn't been updated in, in 11 years. It's one of the policies that I hear time and again has stopped agencies really from taking advantage, full advantage of cloud computing services. So maybe let's start with the tick policy. Tell me a little bit about what your thoughts on it and, and how, you know, from your perspective, how it has changed and why that's important. If I go back, right, in terms of hard and fast requirements and really what the world looked like in 2008, I think it was an appropriate policy at the time, right? You know, how do we manage the legacy environment that we have? At the time, it wasn't legacy, right? The cloud computing was a notion at the time. And so trying to get agencies down to a meaningful number of access points that we can monitor and then we can monitor the traffic of what was really outbound uh, in addition to what was inbound was a key in terms of understanding what was going on in our environments and really, you know, that data loss type function. So that was significant at the time. But really where we've grown leaps and bounds, obviously cloud computing has become ubiquitous. You look at the service providers that are in federal space now, and how we can access the, um, our information in a more secure, arguably more secure uh, fashion while moving the security stack in a more streamlined way as, uh, you know, into the cloud. You know, you're seeing a lot of those service offerings come to bear now. And frankly, this policy allows the government to fundamentally modernize the way it accesses the uh, Internet securely, right, by, you know, moving that stack to leveraging the off-the-shelf solutions, whether they're uh, gov cloud solutions or commercial cloud solutions, that's really what the policy frees up the ability to do. More importantly, it makes sure that there is a community of practice that's centered, you know, through GSA and really the, the CIO Council, the CISO Council. Uh, it allows us to bring those pilots to bear and share the information and resources with uh, like-minded organizations across the federal government. So it's very much the build once, do many times type adage, and that's really where you're getting the efficiency and cost savings. I've said many times that cost savings is sort of like the third tier, you know, benefit of moving to the cloud, you know, and you see that in cloud smart. Of course, you're getting efficiency in terms of workloads. You're getting efficiency in terms of uh, security. And then from a people and process standpoint, you're getting that efficiency as well. And all that results in, you know, cost savings over time. But really, it's about how are we managing our enterprise in a modern fashion. And that's what that policy does. You talk about the pilots. I know Energy, SBA had pilots, maybe the Justice Department. What do you think was the biggest takeaway from those pilots beyond the fact that, hey, here's a way to do tick maybe differently, or here's a way to improve tick? Where do you think the biggest learnings happened? It was that capabilities that can be brought forward by uh, cloud service providers are akin to or greater than what we had previously asked for with TIC 1.0 and 2.0, that you could actually go commercial off the shelf and get things out of the box that were providing you greater visibility, really busted a whole heck of a lot of myths about moving to the cloud, moving the cloud securely, uh, albeit, you know, I think we acknowledge there's still going to be some of the, the legacy operation, which you see in the DCOI policy that also came out, you know, but, but really that you could go and uh, perform at a more advanced level, more efficient level, just get going off the shelf than operating it yourself. And I know from talking with the SBA folks and seeing them at conferences and such, they were actually doing it all in the cloud. And I think uh, it's a fascinating story that you hear from Maria Rote, the CIO, and, and some of her folks, Guy Covello, the deputy CIO, where they talk about 
DHS wanted them to buy a bunch of products and put it on their data center. And they said, well, can we just put it all on the cloud? And I think that's really got the conversation started. How, how, how important was it that you had two agencies like Energy, like SBA, that said they raised their hands and stepped up and said, we want to do this differently and try it out. How important was it to get this tick policy out the door? Because you guys have been talking about it and working on it for what feels like you know 18 months. Yeah, and, and a lot of that was, you know, not trying to avoid the ready firing piece and really being ready and then aiming and firing a policy that was meaningful and having it being informed, you know, through that sort of human-centered design, user-centered design approach of here's what works for agencies as opposed to let's build a program and then shoehorn, you know, the agency approach into it. And what Maria said, and I, I, I love her for this, was really the, you know, go build what everybody else is talking about really go out and take the risk and empowering her staff to do that type of work. And I know Max Everett's doing the exact same thing at Energy, Joe at Justice, and obviously a bunch of other folks across the federal government. But it was that piece of you are incentivized to go out and innovate, and I'm going to provide you with the top cover as a CIO to do that because that's my job. You know, that's really, uh, I think it dovetails very nicely with the authorities in FISMA and FITARA, but it's also what the folks at OMB are living and breathing as well. Let's share the responsibility here. Let's actually, you know, manage risk as a federal enterprise and not just leave the agencies to solve it for themselves. So we were intimately involved in those pilots, OMB, GSA, DHS, and others, just in terms of vetting them and involvement and the run-up and the conversation. And it's just been refreshing to me in terms of the dialogue that we're able to get back from CIOs and the thank yous from CIOs and saying like, hey, we didn't under, we didn't know where you were coming out on the policy or we're glad you've created flexibility for us to go do this versus a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, and, you know, to the broader point, I think every policy that OMB's put out uh, that I've seen last year, the ones that I worked on or my team worked on, had that same sort of adage of go out, take the risk. You're managing risk appropriately, you know, commensurate with the risk of harm of a compromise per the FISMA language. Uh, but you're providing information back to the community. You're really leading the charge for us to help in innovate and modernize, and we want to incentivize that in every way we can. Josh, I want to go over the high-valued asset policy as well, but first let's take a quick break, and then we can come back. We can touch upon that policy. My guest is Josh Moses, the former OMB Chief of Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO and now Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jason Miller, your host. My guest is Josh Moses, the former Office of Management and Budget Chief of the Cyber and National Security Branch in the Office of the Federal CIO, and now Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. Josh, this uh, continues our exit interview of sorts. You were at OMB for about three and a half years. You left just about a month ago. There's a lot you accomplished over those three years, and a lot of change came to federal cybersecurity, and you were responsible for a lot of that change. One of the other big areas that we were talking about is HVA, high-valued assets. That first policy came out in 2016, and uh, just in the last couple of weeks, OMB updated the HVA policy. Give me some background on that, that new HVA policy. Why do you think it's important? And talk maybe a little bit about the updates and, and what stands out to you among those updates. As a student of history, for me, I appreciated, you know, obviously the inclusion of where we came from in drafting that document, right? You can see from 2015 and what we articulated and what we knew at the time in 2015 post-OPM and really how agencies were safeguarding their HVAs. That is, they weren't, or cybersecurity was not an area that was particularly budget, budgeted for, or the capabilities associated with those HBAs were not well-defined, well-understood. 
And if you look at the regime that we had established, and I'm thinking most notably of, you know, Krista Russia and the great team at OMB who had done a lot of that work with DHS, there was a lot of you know, thought leadership of how we can secure our crown jewels in the federal government, what the process for reporting, really building something anew, you know, not only going out and getting the cotton and stitching together the cloth uh, to make it whole, but having something that folks could work off of over time. What we saw with the program, though, I think the core difference was how comprehensive could it be in safeguarding those assets over time? How many reviews could we cover for system architecture reviews? Uh, you know, and risk and vulnerability reports, how do we make sure we can port this out to the entire federal enterprise as opposed to just CFO Act agencies? What I'm deeply proud about, you know, over that three-and-a-half-year period was building a relationship with the small agency community. And you can see this in the risk determination report. I, I say we set a FISMA world record for reporting with 97 agencies, and that was because of that partnership. In the revised policy, what you see is actually the expansion to cover those small agencies as well. Uh, and some of them are actually quite large uh, in terms of scope and portfolio. And so making sure that we include uh, them in the, the review as well, because they were certainly a part of our oversight on a day-to-day and our FISMA uh, and governance processes and cyberstat reviews, and making sure that they had a voice, their budgets were articulated as well and elevated in the right way, that's really what the policy does. It also provides that flexibility for those agencies to go out and get those third-party reviews. You know, DHS provides great services to the government uh, at current, but again, it's more like covering down on uh, all the HVAs and agencies uh, self-sourcing that information where they can. You've seen the expansion of HackSIMS at GSA to help uh, facilitate this. And the core here is that you can go out and get reviews so long as you report back to DHS and that they have visibility as to what's going on. And really what the policy aims to do in addition to the binding operational corrective is multiply the impact of that initial policy uh, by going out and providing more comprehensive resources for agencies to report, for them to detect vulnerabilities. Uh, and I view it as not it's not just a rescission, it's really a maturation of a process. What you also see, I think, is a much better line of communication between agencies in OMB and DHS when they have a problem or need some level of remediation. Uh, If you look at some of the things that have been out in public space, and I'm just going to point most notably to our friends uh, at Census, because I think the CIO has been pretty vocal there about what they're doing with their assets and how they're preparing for the 2020 Census. That type of conversation emanates out of policies like this, where you're able to elevate the dialogue to OMB and DHS and say, we need help or we need assistance, let's share information, let's allocate resources on this years in advance, and that was very heartening to me, and that's really what you're seeing in that policy. One of the things that stood out to me is the widening definition of what a high-valued asset was and is. Can you help me understand why there was that need, that OMB thought there was a need to have a broader definition? Sure. So there are a couple of aspects there, and really, I think, look no further than the President's Management Agenda just to start. When we're looking at data as a strategic resource, and how you can designate an information system as a high-value asset, you know, we recognize that the reasons for doing so aren't just based on matters of national security and import. Yes, that's significant, and yes, there's a definition in FISMA for national security system, but we needed to look just beyond that and say, what information do these systems house that is significant to just inherent government function, which is one part of the definition, 
or just based on the data stores that they contain, you know, again, moving beyond just the definition that we've had in terms of impact level for the system. That, that's a big part of it. And of course, if you, you're thinking about the road ahead, this is going to help agencies articulate what they need to spend to safeguard or modernize those systems in line with what we put forward for the uh, IT modernization report, modernize IT aspect to say, here's the service that we want to deliver. I think it's much better at focusing in on the core mission as opposed to just cybersecurity as a, uh, a subset or priority. What I expect in terms of that definition is it's going to lead to better resource allocation, uh, not just from OMB, but within the agencies internally and future budgets to say, here's how we want to mature and safeguard the system so we can deliver this core service to the taxpayer or facilitate that through internal systems and government. As you worked through it, I'm sure you we went through interagency review. I'm sure you guys worked through the Federal CIO Council and the Federal CISO Council. What was the reaction? What were some of the, the feedback you had heard about the policy? Two things I'm going to highlight in particular, uh, and I'll even give you a little bit of color on the why it came out in, in final. Mostly that was because I think we felt we had a very good document uh, based on you know near consensus in government for what we were putting forward. But if you look at what's in there, Jason, in particular, the privacy additions and sort of the post-A130 world, that's a huge addition in terms of articulating that, obviously in line with FISMA, Privacy Act controls, and some of the things that we focus on at OMB. But getting that buy-in from the community, and that was really to uh, the author's credit, you know, in going out and getting that, that work done. Also, you know, from the agency standpoint, there are a lot of thank yous, frankly, you know, there are agencies who have high-value assets that may not percolate up to DHS's list for annual reviews for uh, risk and vulnerability assessments or system architecture reviews. And what the policy does is provide them with an avenue to go out and get their independent review. really says go. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. An assessment is an assessment is an assessment. Just let us know what's going on. Provide visibility. But you are responsible for managing your cybersecurity, your agency's cybersecurity. And that, I think, dovetails back with a a prior comment on how to provide top cover for agencies to take the appropriate risks or manage risks. That's really what that policy does. And I think that was very refreshing for for CIOs and CISOs, particularly our vocal CISOs, who I remember the comments from saying, thank you for allowing us to do this. Thank you for providing us with the support and hearing us out and really adjusting the policy accordingly to reflect where we are as a government and how mature we are as a government in terms of reporting versus where we were in 2015 or 16. Uh, Josh Moses is the former OMB Chief of Cyber and National Security Branch at the Office of Federal CIO and now the Director of Cybersecurity Strategy and Risk at PwC. Josh, thank you so much for your time today and thank you, of course, for your service to the country. Thank you, Jason. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.